it's Miller from Menswear by a Woman podcast. Uh, welcome to an episode that I'm very um, well. An episode that I really want to talk about. Um, I've been to, I've wanted to talk about this um, for a very very long time, and it's um, it's about dyslexia. As you all know, I've actually said that I am dyslexic, and um, I think I can come about it and talk about it more now. Ever since I've started to do the podcast. But there has been times when I couldn't pronounce certain things because of my dyslexia, and I norm and I'm not shy about it, and I normally say I'm dyslexic, so I can't pronounce certain words. But I'm going to get Joe Rees, who is a specialist in dyslexia, um, to talk about it, so everyone can understand what dyslexia is, as I know that for, for some fact there is still this stigma about it. Joe, welcome to Menswear by a Woman podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's absolutely wonderful having you on board. Um, it's a, one of a subject that's quite close to my heart, actually, um, dyslexia. And um, I, you know, when I was from a very young age, I couldn't, you know, it was very hard to spell. It was very hard to talk. Um, they used to think that I was, I couldn't speak English very well. So I had to go to language school because they couldn't yeah. diagnose the um the dyslexia kind of thing and um it was really weird because they would tell my parents that at home that they my parents have to speak in English for me to um pick up the language but it wasn't because of that it was because of dyslexia yeah so um it, a lot of things happened um, throughout my life with dyslexia but on the same point I feel like it was a massive gift to me because it made me stronger and it made me see things a whole different way. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think the thing the thing with dyslexia is it is so hugely misunderstood. So yeah. if I just tell you a little bit about myself and yeah, my journey, course. so I, I um I did okay at school. I know I, I didn't particularly find it easy, but I kind of attained average. Primary school was a bit of a doddle for me. Then I moved to middle school and found it a bit more difficult. Then moved to high school and found it even more difficult. At no point did anybody ever mention dyslexia. Um, but I just constantly felt like I was giving 110% and my grades just didn't equal that. Anyway, did my GCSEs, um, went on to do A-levels, which in itself was a really interesting situation because none of the A-level teachers, even though I'd done quite well in my GCSEs, none of the A-level teachers wanted me to take their A-level because they felt that I would find it too difficult. Mm -hmm. So I found myself taking theatre studies, um, design, art, design and technology, and English literature which I really didn't want to take but my school at the time didn't offer English language anyway A-levels were a whole new kind of hell which we don't go into but anyway somehow I managed to pass my GC um, pass my A-levels and head off to university and do a degree in dance drama and English by which point I'd already decided I wanted to train to become a primary school teacher right and the view was I would do my degree and then I would do a postgraduate certificate in primary education. I kind of knew that by the time I went, but just didn't want to do the four-year teaching degree. Um, became a primary school teacher, um, absolutely loved it. But from the moment I 
enter the classroom, even when doing my teacher training, I found that I was like a magnet to the children that found it difficult. And yeah. I wasn't sure why, but I kind of, it was so important to me that those children that were struggling to read and write and develop kind of fluent literacy skill, I kind of made it my personal mission to kind of support them. I was like a magnet to them. Anyway, it turned out that I was actually quite good at supporting their needs without really kind of any additional training or anything at that point it was sort of noted that the children that were perceived as being lower attaining in my class were making better than expected progress right so two years into my teaching career I was made the special educational needs coordinator at school because it was deemed that I had quite a good understanding of pupils with additional needs and that came kind of naturally to me um so I, I kind of did that for a few more years, then started to have my own children. Um, so my teaching career, so I sort of went part time. I was still in the classroom. I was still senkoing, um, but, you know, sort of raising my own children at the same time. And then when I went back on after maternity leave with my second child, a job came up in my local authority running an outreach provision for pupils with dyslexia. Okay. Now, I didn't have the, I didn't have the qualification that they were asking for, but I was prepared to get the qualification. It was a, it was a qualification that I could do virtually online, which actually 15 years ago was quite amazing because you couldn't actually do that much online at that point. But the qualification I found, you could do distance learning um anyway so I applied for the job and got it and found myself at the age of 28 running this dyslexic outreach provision providing support for 10 schools in my local area and when I went to so the the main bulk of the training was online but at the very beginning there was a four-day residential right so I went off to this residential thinking that I knew loads about dyslexia because I'd had, you know, I was a really good teacher and I'd yeah. got outstanding for all of my observations. And, you know, I'd always made got my pupils with additional needs and with kind of lower academic attainment to make really good progress. So, you know, what more could this course possibly teach me? Mm-hmm. And I don't mind sharing with you, it blew my mind. Like literally revelation after revelation after revelation of things that I just had no idea were part of dyslexia um and the main thing being at the end of those four days I'd self-diagnosed myself right and I'd realized that all of the struggles that I had had at school if you looked at the pattern of my GCSE results you know I did really well in the creative subjects you know not not so well in English past everything but there was like a real pattern to my to my results um so so yeah kind of self-diagnosed myself getting a diagnosis didn't feel important to me at that time right um so I self-diagnosed myself with kind of dyslexia at the end of this four days carried on living like you do carried on doing the course found it quite difficult to study but kind of again just put that down to the fact that I was juggling a three-year-old and a (laughs) one-year-old and I'm I'm sure it would be okay anyway time went on I passed I passed the course I passed um I passed the diploma I did I I did a postgraduate certificate in dyslexia and then I did the level seven assessor's qualification the year later Um, and by that point my eldest child had started school now he well he 
everybody thinks their own kids are amazing but you know he was he was an amazing kid and he did he talked from a really early age he said his first words at sort of 17 18 months and literally by the time he went to school like his vocabulary and the way he could speak was was amazing like his conversational skills he he struck me as a really bright child. He was really interested in how the world worked. You know, he'd ask questions. He was inquisitive. He was going to go to school and he was going to change the world. And he started school and started bringing reading books home and he just wasn't getting it. And I just couldn't understand why he wasn't getting it. And there was this huge mismatch between kind of what I thought he was capable of and how he presented verbally, but the progress that he was making academically, there was just like this massive mismatch that even as a teacher and as somebody that had done the specialist dyslexic training just couldn't really quite get their head around. Like it just didn't make sense. Sense, And we'd spend ages like doing the letters of the alphabet and doing the sounds and like one day you'd have them. And then the next day it was like they'd fallen out of his head and the poor kid was working so hard and it just and it just wasn't happening. So anyway, more time went by. And then like the middle of year two, I think it was, so he would have been seven by then. I'd actually been made redundant by that point from my job as a spe- as as running the outreach provision and had gone back into school as a special educational needs coordinator. Um, I decided in my head that he was probably dyslexic. Now, I'd also decided in my head by that point that my dad was probably dyslexic because he had had quite a tricky time at school and to this day now still finds reading really difficult. And I can remember having a conversation with my mum and her, and saying, you know, I'm so worried about the progress that he's making. It's just not happening. Like, what is going to become of him? Like, he still can't read. And I can remember her saying to me, it'll be fine. He'll just do a practical job. He'll just, He's going to be like your dad, and he's just going to do a practical job. <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to make him academic. Now, that really hit a bit of a nerve for me. Not that I didn't want him to have a practical job, but I wanted him to be able to have the choice of that. But also, he was seven years old. Why were we making the decision at seven years old that that was all he was going to be able to do? So I went off and got my (laughs) self-diagnosed properly with an educational psychologist because I kind of wanted to prove that actually I was dyslexic and actually dyslexia was nothing about academic intelligence if you like it was so much more than that um so yeah so I went off and got my diagnosis to kind of prove to my mum but also prove to myself there were all sorts of other things going on, which we'll talk about in a minute, but to kind of prove to myself that I wasn't stupid and I did know my stuff and I did, I did kind of, I did understand what was going on with, on with him. So I actually got my diagnosis first of all. Um, And then I think once I'd come to terms with my diagnosis, I was in a much better position to kind of help him. Um, But yeah, that's kind of how the whole thing came about. Sorry, I've just talked for ages. No, no, that's absolutely fine. Because (laughs) you know how you said, um, because when I was about seven or eight years old at primary school, and I had a horrible um, teacher, actually, he kind of made me stand on top of the table and he said, um, you know, similar, stand on the table. So I stood on the table and he turned around and said, somebody's coming around to see how thick you are. 
tomorrow. Right. And that was the age of seven or eight. And basically, um, I didn't cry. I don't remember crying. I just was very numb. And um, when he and the whole class was laughing at me, the whole class was laughing. So I sat down and I came home and told mum and dad what had happened. Obviously, mum and dad were like furious. They went up to the school and they found and they asked the head teacher. Now, the head teacher turned around and said, um, you can forget about Samila's education. You'd be lucky if she gets into a secondary school or if she does GCSEs. Um, no way were they going to help. And they said that this is what they were saying. Um, she actually lives in her own little world. Um, sometimes she's just staring out the window and or when the teacher's talking to her, she's not understanding. So we think there's a language problem. So they literally made my parents believe that there was a language problem and um, that at home um, everyone had to speak English because I couldn't speak English very well, apparently, which I did, but I couldn't pronounce the words. And I can't still pronounce certain words even now. And all my friends know that because I give everything a different name. Um, which is quite funny in a sense. But at the same time, as a child, you know, I mean, my mum was furious at the headmaster and she actually said to to the headmaster, just wait and see because my daughter's going to get an education and she's going to get a degree. And my mum stormed out of the office. (laughs) I remember storming out of the office and I was sitting there and she looked at me and my mum said, we're going to do this together, Okay. And it was, um, even though it was very, very difficult with education, um, I wanted to be an astrophysicist, Joe. I didn't want right, to be amazing. I didn't want to be a menswear designer, but um, I didn't even know that existed. Um, but somehow, um, when I went to do GCSE, I did get into a school. Um, but funny, I'm sorry, when I was eight, the specialist came in and she would be showing me cards of animals. And she'd be saying, what is this animal? And I'd be saying, that's a cat, that's a dog, that's a cow, and things like that, which I couldn't understand what what they were doing, you know. But I was, I mean, I used to love reading comics and I couldn't read books properly because even if I did read them, and mum used to say even now, I used to always be walking around with a book. (laughs) God knows why, right? But I couldn't understand what I was reading because it wouldn't digest into my head. So um, when I got to GCSE, um, I did do textiles design. Um, That's the only thing I did, I think, in art. I didn't do art because I didn't like my art teacher. So I did textile design. And um, my English teacher, she's the one who realized that I was dyslexic. She realized even then I wasn't diagnosed then. Right. Yeah. But they did say, I live in my own little world. I'm very slow, but my imagination's really good. But I'm very slow. I miss words. She can't put sentences together. She can't write. And they said, we don't know what it is. And, and I just couldn't understand why they didn't know what it was. But um, when I went to do my GCSEs, um, my English teacher, she said, Samila, I'm going to help you with your English language and your English literature. And because of her, I got not so bad grades in my GCSE. The rest was crap. 
The rest was awful. Now I'm saying this on the podcast. <laughs> My GCSE results yeah. were really bad, right? But it's it's um, it's been a battle with education, but I battled through. And then I went to do um, – I did a foundation course, um, and, and then I w- took a year out and got into Central St. Martins. I got into um, second year of the degree course. Um, they said, you know, they looked at my portfolio, took a year out, started to do, learn how to draw, and, and that was self-taught. And um, th- I got into Central St. Martins, and then from Central St. Martins, I went to do my master's at the Royal College um, of Art. And um, and at, at a Diwali festival, my mum came across the headmaster who told my parents that I was never going to get an education. And... Um, he looked at my mum and he said, oh, you know, how similar, you know, um, I know that it, it was so bad. It, her education was so bad when she was younger. I suppose she's she's probably not doing much. And my mum said, no, 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 no. You've, I told you my daughter was going to get a degree. She got two degrees. She's more educated than you are. Amazing. She said that to to him right and I didn't see the headmaster and my mum said no 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 she's too busy she can't see people like yourselves <laughs> what crazy but, isn't but it it's crazy how they already at that age of seven they already put me to a point yeah. to a position where they realized that I would not get an education I would not be educated or I would not there's a lot of people who say to me what does education mean to you well it means a lot to me because I've fought through it you know the system to be to get what I wanted to get and because of my parents you know they they stuck by me and they said no and and they always were happy they were saying if that's what you want to do design menswear we're absolutely 100% happy with that my dad always said do what you love no matter what the people say so that was my but at the moment and I'll be honest with you I've actually mentioned it at a job interview and he suddenly the mood changed in an interview because yeah. I said I was dyslexic. And suddenly they thought, oh, my God, she's going to make loads of mistakes. She's going to make loads of mistakes. She yeah. Really, yeah. I mean, I think workplace for sure isn't my area of expertise. Yeah. And my understanding is actually in terms of the Disability Discrimination Act, they can't hold that against you. Not anymore. Yeah. And I think increasingly, and we're still a long, long, long way to go yet, but I think increasingly people are beginning to understand it a bit more. And there are certain organisations that actually seek out dyslexic employers because they know that they're going to bring something different um, to to a workplace. Um, But I think it... In, in terms of, like I say, workplace for sure is not my area of expertise, um, but I, I'm pretty sure that if you were treated differently, you could look at the discrimination policy yeah. um, and contact citizens' advice for advice on how to deal with that, because I don't, it, I don't think that that's any longer acceptable. No, and funny enough, you're saying this, right? Like a few months back last year, I went for a, I was working for a company, right? And this company, oh my God, it was a bit awful, very awful. I, I actually won't mention the name of the company. But sh- because I mentioned I was dyslexic, right? The head of the, um, the manager of the actual, who was in charge of me, turned around and said, um, I've got to teach you how to write. <laughs> and I went... 
what? She goes, I've got to teach you how to write. I said, what do you mean you've got to teach me how to write? Is it because of my dyslexia you're talking about? And she, she was fuming. She said, oh, I knew you was going to bring that up. That's not the case. But what else would be the case? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's the other thing to say is it's ensuring that we find a job that plays to our strengths. Yeah. Um, and I think going back to school, I think this is some of the issue with the education system in the UK at the moment yeah. is that it you know even though so so it's much better than when I I don't know your age but I know I I went to school I'm I'm 40 I'm 44 um so you know education has massively changed since I was at school and it and it really really has and we and we do know more stuff and yeah you are still going to get those teachers that that perhaps shouldn't be teaching um but the majority of teachers do the best they can with what they've got and and actually the issue now quite often isn't the teachers themselves it's the lack of training that's available to them the the budget that they've got to play with which is absolutely non-existent and the fact that they have to deliver a curriculum that in all honesty just isn't really fit for purpose in my opinion for the for the 21st century you know we're still measuring what somebody knows in a in an hour written exam which a dyslexic is never gonna be able to show their their best but actually lots of people are never going to be able to show their best in in that time but I think some of the issue is is the curriculum doesn't allow us to anybody dyslexic any neurodiverse profile you know neurotypical people it doesn't allow us to find our strengths and find our niche and play to those um and I think that's some of the issue because people leave school with quite low confidence and self-esteem unless you've got really supportive parents that have massively pushed you yeah um and then they're just not quite sure what direction to go in. And then I think there's something to be said for understanding dyslexia and its impacts. If you if you can understand what's going on and how you're thinking and why you're finding something difficult, it's much easier to rationalise. And I actually talk about my life pre and post-diagnosis because actually how I coped with things pre-diagnosis is hugely different to how yeah. I cope with things yeah. now. Diagnosis changed everything for me um and even though it wasn't a magic wand I didn't actually need anybody to particularly do anything different I just needed to understand what was going on in my head so I could make sense of it and and could rationalize it I guess if you like um so you know diagnosis can be hugely empowering for sure how would you describe dyslexia So dyslexia is a really good definition. If you go to the British Dyslexic Association, there's a really brilliant definition on there at the moment. It may change in the next six months, but at the moment we're still using Sir Jim Rose's definition of dyslexia, which is basically, and I am paraphrasing here because I can't remember it completely off the top of my head, (laughs) but it is a difficulty with developing fluent reading and spelling skill. Yeah. Um, Because of the way it's a processing difficulty, it's to do with how we process the information our brains just think in a slightly different way um and that in turn impacts how you read write spell kind of understand language there's some debate as to whether it does include language processing as well so that's kind of like the actual diagnostic bit but then obviously it impacts 
other things as well but they in themselves are not markers on their own of dyslexia so you know for example I've done lots of videos on you know we lose our keys we have untidy desks you know we can we can struggle with directions so all of those things are signs of dyslexia but we wouldn't use those to diagnose it they're more kind of a a symptom as opposed to an actual identifying factor um I'd be honest with you Joe I can't read maps no, no. I mean, but the flip side is some dyslexics are amazing at that. I know. You know my son, I, my son, for example, is one of the most dyslexic people yeah. I have I have come across. But his map reading skills and his direction is phenomenal. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing we need to be really careful of. Like there are quite a lot of misconceptions About around yeah. dyslexia, yeah. and I think it's really important that we continue to to use that kind of one size does not fit all because every profile looks slightly different so another thing which will quite often come up is well I don't want my child to learn a second language at school because they're dyslexic and they can't do English so therefore they're not going to be able to do another language yeah well actually interestingly quite a lot of dyslexics are really good at a second language yeah I have a second language it's because by the time they come to learn that second language at school they've they've probably realized that they're struggling with their first language and learning the terminology again like verbs and nouns in another language actually supports them with English ironically um and actually they can be brilliant at learning a second language I mean it cracks me up I actually got a B for my French GCSE which was just which is (laughs) which is ironic you know but but it is interesting one size doesn't fit all my son didn't actually learn a second language um because we did actually feel that that wasn't right for him personally but you know there are other dyslexics I've assessed that it's been absolutely I mean one dyslexic I assessed recently she's taking two additional languages and English because it's her thing she loves it it's what she's really passionate about and because she's been at a school where she's been exposed to lots of different languages she realizes that that's what she's really good at and can play to that strength And I think picking up on something you said earlier about what you wanted to be and you didn't even know that that job existed, that in itself is a massive problem because if we don't know that something exists, how can we work towards it and make it happen? We we can't. Um, So there's the dyslexic issue, but there's also the issue of, of budgets and schools and funding and actually poverty to a certain extent and children being exposed to you know the amount of children that haven't been off the Isle of Wight and I'm sure there are children in London in all sorts of city that haven't been you know half a mile away from their house and then you only know the jobs and the things that are available in your area so actually exposing children to all sorts of different cultures and environments you know lots of schools now do it's amazing. Lots of primary schools do Aspiration Day, mm-hmm. where um, children can dress up as their as what they want to be when they grow up, um, and they do assemblies and things on them. And it just enables children to see all of the different jobs and all of the things that they might not have had their eyes kind of open to before. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's interesting. Sorry again, gone off at a tangent. I'm good <laughs> at going off at tangents. So Joe, with dyslexia, right? Um... I have problems in, um, I think, too ahead and my hands are too slow to keep up. And I've always had that. So when I'm writing, I forget the, uh, I'm thinking of the words in my head, but my hand forgets to write them. Is that some, is that a part of it as well? Yeah, potentially it can be part of it. I mean, it can manifest itself in so many different ways. I think that's the thing that's really interesting. And I think that's why TikTok has been really interesting for me because, yeah. 
it, you you kind of discover you the these traits that you, you think are, you think are potentially part of you, but actually they're part of dyslexia. But I think the other really important thing to remember is with any neurodiverse specific learning difficulty. So dyslexia is a specific learning difficulty rather than a general one. So that means that we has we have areas of strength and areas mm. of weakness. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just a general difficulty with with learning. Very few people actually have a general difficulty with learning. Um, So a specific learning difficulty of which dyslexia is one, the chances are, if you're dyslexic, lots of the neurodiverse needs overlap. So quite often when I post a video with a trait, Lots of people will hop on it and go, well, this is a, I'm ADHD, this is ADHD, this is, you know, I do this, I'm dyspraxic, da 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 and I think what what is in, what's important to remember is that they do they do overlap. And the chances are, if you've got one, you've got a little bit of another one. Yeah. But the other thing, which increasingly I'm beginning to think about and realise, is that you, the symptom you display may be the same, but the reason why you are displaying that symptom is different. Now. I have undenied about whether I am ADD as well and whether I should get a diagnosis for that. But I I don't know, actually. I'm not convinced I am. But quite often when I post things, I will get all this overlap with ADHD. So the example I'm going to give you here is like when I cook, the kitchen is mega untidy. Right. Now, it's not mega untidy because I'm going a million miles an hour. It's mega untidy because I'm trying to read a recipe and I'm trying to process the language and work out the timings. And I'm doing something for the first time and trying to get my head around those instructions. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. yeah. Whereas somebody yeah. with ADHD, it might be mega untidy because you've just moved at a million miles an hour. Yeah. So I think actually thinking about the reason why something is displaying itself as it is can be helpful. So, yeah, for sure, lots of dyslexics can talk much quicker than they can write, and that can be very frustrating. That is a dyslexic trait. Could also be ADD, just because you want to do something a million miles an hour. Um, But, yeah, I think it is something that dyslexics potentially do do experience. I mean, I can remember being, and I took all of my exams without extra time. As I said, my dyslexia wasn't diagnosed. And I can remember thinking I could have written so much more in those exams, but my hand just couldn't write quickly enough. And you will find that lots of dyslexics do have a slower handwriting speed. And, again, we're... You know, we're we're so fortunate now, you know, kids of this generation are fortunate because they can type. Lots of kids can type quicker than they can handwrite. Actually, also, we can dictate. You can't yeah. dictate in an exam yet, but I yeah. do think that that will come eventually. Um, so there are things that they can do that we perhaps couldn't do that can help bridge that gap a bit more. But also, right, with me, right, when I'm um, when I'm actually talking to someone or doing something, I'm actually thinking of other things like, oh, you know, I'm always a step ahead and I don't know how to. So if you give uh, I can't even explain it as well. <laughs> I, I, I know exactly what you mean. So, yeah, actually, sometimes that can be so sometimes that can come from a place of anxiety of 
having to be ahead of the game because you can't because often dyslexics can't think quickly and again this is something I've been quite heavily criticized for on TikTok by saying dyslexics can't think quickly and actually there are situations where they can think really quickly I actually think dyslexics are really good in in an emergency because they kind of kick into a very practical what needs to be done mode Yes. yes but actually you ask them a question about something they've been learning about Couldn't. and they'll find it really hard absolutely to that is 100% right their response 100% right that is so true yeah. because if you ask me um, a question but, like... but it's interesting because that quite often is a mismatch and something that can cause quite a lot of difficulty in a classroom because dyslexics are often really articulate as well yeah so when they're talking about something they're constantly and com- com- um, com- uh, I can't talk comfortable and confident about yeah like they can completely you know they're, they're they're brilliant but yet you're asked a question on the spot and you can't think and teachers think well that's because you haven't been listening or or you're just you know you need to focus or you need to yeah. attend better yeah. and it's not that at all it's it's using a slightly different bit of the brain I think it's it is interesting and it is something that quite often causes confusion. I write in reports and parents will say, but they're really good at talking. And I'll be like, yes, they are really good at talking yeah, I, about things they know about. But that's so true because I, I, I have people that are telling me about this podcast, right, that I'm, very, I'm good at talking. But if you ask me to write this out, I'd be like lost. <laughs> I'd be yeah. totally lost. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah. and, um, you know, my very good friend Charles, right, he um, – he knows very well that I, you know, if I was to sit down and write about menswear, I couldn't do it in a sense. I probably could, but it wouldn't make sense to anyone apart from myself. Um, but at the same time, I think if I was to talk about it, but if you asked me a question about menswear at the moment, I'd probably have to go into that point where I don't know what to say because I have to think yeah. about it. But if if I didn't have to think about it, I would just tell you what it's about and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's what I'm, and, and you're 100% right, because it's been always the case, you know, um, I, I've always had this. Um, but also the other thing that I've always had as a child is um, I could be talking to you about something and I'm thinking about other things. And I think that's just the creative mind. I used to think that's just my, me. That's yeah, just my I, de- I definitely think that's a creative mind. And that is when I go, oh, am I a bit ADHD? Because I can't focus on more than one thing at once. But actually, yeah. I, I... I don't know that it is. I think we just have lots. We just have lots and lots of ideas, and I think, in actual fact, you know, it's one of when I coach GCSE students, dyslexic GCSE students. Actually, yeah. I talk about how when we ask a dyslexic to write, it's like we're asking them to drive all of the cars on the M25 in rush hour, and you know, one of two things is going to happen: either they're going to ground to a halt, or there's going to be a massive car crash. You know, so actually, yeah. we need to find a way to keep those cars moving safely and a few at a time and and I use that analogy to help them with planning you know to begin with just get all of your thoughts down on a piece of paper write everything that's in your head down and then number your points and the order that you're going to talk at them and then as you're writing and those ideas continue to pop in their head in your head because they do literally just jot it down on your piece of paper and go back to where you are and that can help keep you on track with reading and all that stuff right um I when I'm reading, right, it's like reading back to me. I'm I'm reading kind of loud, a little bit loud, so I can hear it. I don't. I can't have. Yeah, music. I mean, I, I can't think... have music on because 
that will distract me. So I have to, even if I'm reading on the tube or anything, right, I have to switch off my headphone or I have to switch off my music and read it in a sense that, you know, it's it's like an. But that's because that's because if you're listening to something, you're processing two lots of language. So if you think dyslexia is a difficulty with processing language, so if you're listening to something, whether that is a song, or or whether it is a podcast and somebody talking, yeah. it's slightly different if it's potentially classical music because then you're not processing language. Um, but if you're listening to something whilst trying to read, that will be impossible to do because you're trying to process two lots of language. And actually, many dyslexics struggle to process that one lot of language. Um, and I think reading is something, again, it's a bit of a misconception. People think that dyslexics can't read. And actually, dyslexics can. can read. They, can have a, they can have a strong visual memory so they can develop a sight vocabulary of words quite quickly. Um, attacking and decoding unfamiliar words can be challenging um, because it's knowing where the syllable divides are, which is something that dyslexics find difficult. But actually the issue, sometimes dyslexics are working so hard on the mechanical aspect of yeah. reading yeah. that they have no room left in their head to comprehend what they've read. That is absolutely <laughs> true because there are times where I'm thinking, I've just read this page and I don't know what I've read. I've got to reread it again because I don't understand what yeah. the hell I've been reading. Yeah, I wanted to just pick up on something you said earlier about seeing dyslexia as a gift. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I, I've i been on a bit of a personal journey with is it a gift? Is it a superpower? And there have been times when I've really pushed that it is. But actually my current thinking, and it probably will change again, yeah. is that I don't see dyslexia itself as a gift or right. as a superpower because right. it's actually something that makes my day-to-day -day life and that's the other thing to say it impacts day-to-day -day, not just when you're at school yeah. really challenging like there are barriers that need to be overcome every day because you have to read something every day you have to process language every day and there are days when it perhaps doesn't impact as much I think for me yeah the bit that <laughs> You're absolutely right in as much. Because I didn't know I was dyslexic, yeah. I for sure have got a resilience that perhaps other people haven't got because I'm used to being knocked down and having to get back up again. Yeah. You know, I'm Same used here. to things being difficult. And if I really want something, I know that I'm going to have to power through it. Yeah. Like, yeah, 100%. However, yeah. however, I've only really felt like that since I had my diagnosis. And I've been able to skill my children up like that because I've known what's going, what's going on. I think yeah. the danger is for people that either are undiagnosed dyslexia yeah. or don't know that they are dyslexic, yeah. it manifests itself in a very different way. And I think we have to be really careful about the terminology that you've got this gift because they're not going to see it as a gift because yeah. actually it's going to be impacting hugely negatively potentially on what on what they could be doing. And and again, I think because it's misunderstood, it can keep people in a box. Yeah. If you don't properly I mean, understand I what think, dyslexia is, I think what I well, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to be able to do that because I'm dyslexic. And I think what so, I, what I, what I need to re, re say about it is, it's. I felt like I was always negative about it because I couldn't do things, or you know, I always used to find it really hard doing things or processing. And um, once I was diagnosed it in my adult life. Um, I got to a point where 
to make it positive, I just kind of made it saying yeah. this is a gift to me. I'm going to make it positive. I'm going to I'm going to turn it around. So when I'm saying it, it's it's a it's something in me. So I'm not saying that everyone who has dyslexic to see it as a gift because I I know there are people out there who have I one of my next door neighbour she's dyslexic and she finds it difficult to read and it's really really yeah. sad because she got to a point that she's very good at you know in um crafts and all that stuff she's so good but she actually said to me that she can't read and she's she's in her 60s and it's so sad and me saying this as if as if it's a gift to me it was I went through a lot to accept it yeah I went through so much so I turned it around and said you know what if I didn't have this if I didn't struggle so much maybe education wouldn't mean so much to me or yeah it wouldn't mean um, even doing menswear wouldn't mean so much to me. Going to Joe, honestly, I still can't believe I've got a master's degree, right? I it's can't, amazing. I can't even believe that I actually got a master's degree or I've got a BA honors because the way they were putting me in a position because they were making me feel like, oh, you've got this, or you can't read, or you can't write, or you can't do this, which I can read and I can write. But the fact is, the way I do it is a totally different format to everyone else. And and I have to just be clear that, to me, it felt like to make my life positive, to make myself positive, I yeah. thought this is a gift to me and I'm going to use it to make people realize that, hey, you know, if you're dyslexic, no matter what, you can do it. You can do it because yeah, that should sure. not be the point. That should not be the case that stops you from anything because it should, no. you know, because it's a form of way of life. You know, dyslexia to me is of life. It's, it's a form of life for me now. Yes, I don't understand maps. Um, when I'm reading certain things, I don't understand it. I have to carry on reading. When I'm writing things, it, it makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to anyone because I forget the commas forget the full stops it's a massive paragraph um but at the end of the day um it's something that I'm, I'm happy to be dyslexic um I can't I can't turn around and say certain words because I can't pronounce it but hey you know so what <laughs> that's the way I feel yeah and, and I that's think me. I think there's something to be said there's definitely something to be said for confidence yeah and I think but that if, confident actually, again, Joe, at, that confident at, grew. That confident didn't come overnight. And I'll be honest no. with everyone. That confident took a long time to come to that point where today I can say to the whole world, yes, I'm dyslexic. Where I can yeah, say, I and think, I can talk about it because that didn't come overnight. And I'll be honest with you. No way yeah, did it come overnight. I think, I think confidence is an interesting one because yeah. dyslexics are generally bright people. Yeah. So we are inquisitive and we do want to learn and we do put ourselves out there. But it does mean that we will end up in quite a lot of vulnerable situations yeah. where we will say the wrong thing or yeah. we will have mis, you know, misunderstood. Yes. And I think for me, confidence and resilience actually go hand in hand. So it's being able to kind of keep having that ability to pick yourself up and keep yeah. going. Yeah. Yeah. And with that also comes shame I think dyslexics quite often experience quite a lot of shame because they can't do the thing that perhaps other it, well they perceive other people can do things 
kind of easily if you think school literally just measures reading spelling and writing skill yeah you know and and constantly all day you're measured by that thing you find the most difficult yeah um it you know that does take its toll after a while and it does chip away and if you look at dyslexics who are successful yeah and Again, and, I, and I'm almost wary with now saying about kind of overcoming it because it doesn't ever go away. It's more <laughs> kind of managing it. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that they have all got in common is they have all got a shed load of resilience and a shed load of confidence. Yeah. And, and that's not looking confidence. It's an inner self-belief confidence, confidence yeah. Yeah. because yeah. you can tell somebody to be confident and you can tell somebody they're right until you're blue in the face. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily feel it on the inside. And I completely agree with you. It's a journey for sure. And I am still yeah. on that journey. You Same know, there here. are still times where my confidence can be completely zapped and it goes yeah. straight back to the to the beginning for sure 100% because when I have to write things about the podcast like a little phrase or something right on um, when you look on um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts when I'm talking about the episodes that is hard to write up and I'll be honest with with you Um, and there are times where I freeze because I don't know what I'm saying and I don't know what I'm writing and I and I always feel like somebody's just going to send me something and say this does not make sense this is really crap what you've just written um yeah. you know and yes of course I mean I wouldn't say you know that time you just feel like oh god I wish I could just do this you know and it takes me ages to write that part about even when I have to write emails I'm reading it so many times and I'm like, you know, it's it's really weird because there's a TikTok video about what you talk about emails and all that stuff. And you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I am literally writing an email and I'm reading it so many times before I send it. So I could be writing <laughs> yeah. it in the morning and I could be sending it to you in the afternoon. The, I think the other thing which is quite funny is my husband quite often comments. He says, you use a million words to yes. actually, and you only need 10. Yes. I'm like, that is so I know, right. but I can't, I can't help it. Like, that is so I, right. I can't because, help it. I know, um, and Charles says the same thing. He's, he's a very good um, friend of mine. He says, all you have to do, right, um, Samela, is um, you, you only need, we only need about 10 words. And that's it. But you've got about 50 words there. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so difficult to kind of like to come up with it. But I mean, I think I think for anybody that's interested, so I'm on TikTok, but I've also written yeah. a book called yeah. Don't Forget to Smile. Yeah. And it's a memoir book. So I didn't actually get diagnosed until I think I was 34. I think I've been diagnosed 10 years ago. I don't know, it all blurs into one when you're a mum of three, like and live a crazy <laughs> life, it all blurs into one. Um but I've actually written a memoir book about living with undiagnosed dyslexia. Right. And how it impacts and all the different places that it hides and it manifests. So, for example, growing up, I loved dancing. I loved tap dancing. And I was at a dancing school where I wasn't really being pushed. And my cousins were at a dancing school where they moved at a much faster pace. And I made the decision that I would move to this other dancing school because I really wanted to get better at this thing that I really loved doing. Right. So I moved to this other dancing school and it became apparent really quickly that A, I wasn't that good and B, I suddenly found it really difficult 
And the reason why I suddenly found it really difficult was because it moved at a much faster pace. But also, it's taken me another 20, 30 years to work out why I found it so difficult. And I've just recently gone back to an adult tap class now. And I've realized it's because if you say the names of the steps... Yeah. I can't process I can't process the language. Uh, if you show me the steps step, I can, with can no language, you can progress. I can it. copy it. Yeah. And and it's things like that. So actually, as a child of 16, you are still a child at 16, you know. I suddenly this thing that I thought I was really good at and gave me so much joy, I suddenly found really difficult, but couldn't rationalize that in my head. Yeah. Um so I think you know, if there are any parents listening to this, it's worth kind of being mindful of what strategies have your children created themselves and how are they compensating for that weakness? Because dyslexics are really clever at finding ways to compensate for hidden weaknesses. Wow, I didn't know that. I mean, there are things, if you actually tell me how to do something, I couldn't. But if you show me, like if you give me the language of it, like step by step, like you know how you did your tamta and something, but they showed you how to do it. Yeah. You just got it. Same here. That would be the same yeah. case. You know, it's um, it's a, it's the other thing I wanted to ask you was, um, how do you feel knowing that you're dyslexic now? So for sure, it yeah. was a process. I had to go through and in the book actually there is actually a chapter called purgatory because I felt like I had to come to terms with it and and I always say it's interesting when I do assessments for parents parents always quite often have mixed emotions so and they're always quite surprised by the range of emotions that they feel which confuses them even more because they've suspected their child is dyslexic in the first place which is why they brought them to me for assessment but I think it it is a funny thing to have to come to terms with. And I actually liken it to a bit like grief. It's a process you have to go through because suddenly you've got this thing that is brilliant because actually explains why you're doing something, how you're doing it, but actually you have to come to terms with it. Um, so it, it is an interesting one. How do I feel about dyslexic? If I'm honest, I still find it really annoying. There are days, especially when writing emails, where <laughs> I wish I didn't have it. But yeah. I have got it. Yeah. And I, I've just got to find ways to overcome it. And the chances are, if I didn't have that, there would be something else going on. Because everybody's got something. Yeah, of course. So it, in terms of my confidence, that is still very up and down. Um, I am not proud to be dyslexic isn't the right word it doesn't it doesn't worry me to share that with people anymore does it still fill me with shame yes so you know I will spend hours I I love writing and that is something um which is which is again a bit of a misconception because you think wow dyslexics like writing like words I love it. I love writing. I love putting words together. And actually, school put me off. And it wasn't until I wrote my book 10 years ago that I suddenly found this love for writing again. And I've been working with a coach recently 
on copywriting for my business because I, you know, I'm a, I was a trained teacher. So when I set up my own business, I should say, should I set up my own business eight years ago now, um, doing dyslexia assessment training, teaching that kind of thing. Um, you know, I had I had no clue how to market a business because I hadn't done that before. So I've been working with this copywriter, and um, I have just found this absolute love for writing and putting words together. So recently I ran London Marathon. Wow, congratulations. And, um, yeah, crazy, crazy thing. <laughs> ran London Marathon, completed it, raised four and a half grand, I think, wow. for charity. Well but I was running in memory of my uncle um, for a charity called Planets that are based at Southampton Hospital. And um, I made a decision. I went one step further. I decided that I would run the 26 miles I would want run one mile for a key person either in my life or associated with the charity so patients doctors surgeons right. um nurses all, all sorts of people all sorts of people patients that are still alive patients that are in memory but achieved amazing things anyway I didn't write all of the posts but I've been blogging about it for six months and the posts that I've written that I shared on social media are often quite long, but they get so much engagement and people yeah. are like, you've brought me to tears with what you've written. And there's something to be said that when I write from my heart and yeah. I'm kind of a place of just being honest and just being me, the words just come out. And it's and that is like a gift, if you like. It is like a gift because yeah. I don't – it's easy. I don't have to think about it. It's not like writing an academic essay. Like, literally, the words just come out. Um, I can't even remember how this came up in conversation now. But I think, <laughs> you know, for me, writing is something – a new love that I found and it's ironic really because you'd think that a dyslexic wouldn't be able to do that well I think um I mean I think because you love it so much right of course you're gonna do it yeah but it's taken me a long time it's only probably been the last three it's taken me a really long time to get to that place so I know what I was saying so that's what I was saying wasn't it so I write these really beautiful posts which take a really long time to write I read them I read them again I get Grammarly to check them I get my phone or whatever to read it back to me yeah I'll post it I'll read it again when I actually post it I'll be happy with it and then three days later I'll find a typo or I'll find an error. Yeah. And that I find really frustrating and all, and still quite shameful and embarrassing because I'm like, oh, you know, how have I missed that? And I am getting better at it not yeah. devaluing what I've written and what I've done. Right. But I'd be lying if I said it didn't bother me because it does bother me because I think that's another trait that dyslexics have I think they're perfectionists and they put yeah. a lot of pressure on themselves to get yeah. something really right yes and when it doesn't turn out exactly how they want it to look yeah they feel like they failed but I think um I think with me right I it's it's become a part of my life now and um I I you know I, I'm living with it and I've got to live with it because it's not a it's not there there is an actual cure for it kind of thing I feel I feel the cure is yourself you've just got to live with it and you've got to find a ways to make it work for you as well 
Um, yeah, absolutely. You have you have to use it to your advantage, advantage to a yeah. certain extent. And I can't explain um, it very well, but I've I've got to a point where I find it, it's a part of me. It's a part of my life. It's here to stay, and it will go with me. <laughs> so I've just got to get used to it. Um, I have yeah. done for all all of my life, and I remain to for the rest of my life. And it's it's yeah, it's it's something that I've. I'm not ashamed of it anymore, you know, and I think um, I, I still know my relatives don't know that I am. And if I did tell them, they'd be shocked kind of thing, because I think it's something that, you know, it, it's it's something that because I don't know, it, it just feels like, well, I am. And it, it doesn't mean that um, you're stupid or anything like that, because I think there's that stigma about it a lot. But at the same time, I feel like we, you, all of us are changing that um, a lot, and we're encouraging the next generation. You know, and you're you're one of these people who are encouraging the next generation. Yeah, you know, and for that's sure. what fascinates me about it because, you know, if if people like yourself weren't around, then the generation would there'd be loads of that kind of people who are dyslexic that young generation who would say oh I'm not doing education no way no way I'm keeping away from it and it's really sad in a sense because I look at certain adults who who can't read because they never never got that chance you know um yeah sure they didn't get the chance um or they weren't diagnosed and they still weren't diagnosed and I know someone who is dyslexic but he's ashamed to say it He's so scared yeah. and he doesn't want to say it because he says, you know, I'm embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed from it. And um, and and I understand that because I was embarrassed of it because I couldn't pronounce words. I couldn't pronounce things. And I used to, when I was younger, um, at school, secondary school and all that stuff. And I was so, and I was so quiet. I, I wouldn't speak to anyone because my, you know, because I, they've made me, not they, but I've made myself feel like, God, I, you know, it, it, it's not worth it. You know, I, I, I can't do this. I yeah. can't do that. Um, I don't know, you know, but somehow I kind of, when I went to uni and all that stuff, it kind of, um, it came to a point, but even after uni, I think it's just recently I've just come to a point where I've said to myself, you know, I don't care who knows. Um, I am, I am. And so, you know, that's it. Um, but I hope I can give someone the hope to say, you know, you can overcome this. There are loads of helps out yeah. there loads of helps out there now and you know there was so many so much help there wasn't before but now you can self-diagnose yourself as well um so people like yourself joe you're making amazing um oh, thank progress, you. Um, and amazing you know it, it's just amazing to hear what you're doing so yeah, yeah. i think you know there are times for sure when it is difficult um, but for me, it's just really important that, pe- that, that, you know, the next generation doesn't go through what we went through. Absolutely. And, and whenever I have that little bit of self-doubt or, oh, is that post a bit too vulnerable to share? I'm like, no, actually, this is going to empower somebody. So, for example, sorry, I know we're running out of time, but yeah. I just want to share this. So, for example, a post I shared on my Facebook page, which was a real vulnerability post, <laughs> was at the start of the summer. So two of my children were going on a school trip abroad right and 
obviously at the time it was all to do with vaccination status and whatever anyway for one reason or another they were at different kind of stages because of their ages and actually what one of the children needed was different to another another one of the children and I just could not get my head around the guidelines and I read them and I read them again and then I read them again and then I asked my husband to read them to me and I'm telling I can't tell you how many times I read them and tried to work it out and even when I had worked it out I still worried because I lacked confidence in my comprehension ability that I hadn't understood it correctly um you know, so I had to, you know, had to ask so many questions. And I was so embarrassed because school had provided me with the information to read. Um, so, you know, sometimes I do share really vulnerable things like that, which isn't easy. You know, and there were a couple of people that put laughing emojis underneath it because they just didn't get it. But no unkind comments. But that is my reality. Like yeah. something like that comes along, you know, government guidelines, you've got to get your head round. Yep. And actually the implications for that, if I hadn't read it properly, I could have had a 12 year old stuck at a border somewhere. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. So, it, you know, it does still impact, but I'm doing my best to kind of share, put my vulnerability aside and share to kind of educate and help others. And on that note, Joe, I'd like to thank you for coming on board on Men's Web by Woman podcast. It's been absolutely a pleasure and an honour and amazing to have you on board. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. (laughs) Thank you.